and welcome to an interview series by the Picture Books to Gang crew. Picture Books and Justice is a series where we interview a creator from the picture book world and get to know them a little better. To us, there's nothing better than a beautiful, spellbinding picture book that has social justice themes. The picture book world is a big, beautiful place, and we are excited to hear different experiences and opinions in a shorter time frame than our full-length Picture Books to Gang episodes. PB&J is your afternoon book snack, so let's dig in. Welcome to another episode of PB&J, Picture Books and Justice, the Picture Books to Gang podcast series where we interview authors, illustrators, and other members of the publishing industry. Today, I am so excited to have on our show Dr. Kara Florence, who is a PhD in biochemistry and an author of a whole bunch of books for children. Most recently, she's been working on her Baby Medical School series, which is co-authored with her husband, John, who is also a medical doctor. And the series includes My Doctor's Visit, which is my toddler Willow's absolute favorite book. She carries it in a little ladybug backpack everywhere she goes. Um, vaccines, bacteria and antibodies, DNA, enzymes, proteins, and RNA. Dr. Florence also co-authored a number of the Baby University series books, the ABCs of Biology, Nuclear Physics for Babies, and Organic, oh, Organic Chemistry for Babies, and Evolution for Babies. So it's uh, just a light reading list of some very light topics there. And she, you may also know her from her Instagram account, which is very popular. She provides a lot of activities for children to do um, that are science-based at home or in the classroom. And she has three children. You have an awful lot. Welcome, Kara. Hey, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, the third kid was just born about a month ago, but thanks for listing all the good things instead of the incessant chaos that is actually <laughs> going on here. <laughs> well, you know, I think that when you have all that happening, there's going to be some chaos. Let's get down to it. I have so many questions for you. You have a PhD in biochemistry and you ended up focusing on science for children and writing for children. Is that what you always wanted to do? So no, it, it actually wasn't what I always wanted to do. Um, I always thought I would just be a researcher. Um, it was something I loved and I was good at and I thought I balanced it well. After my first kid was born, things changed a lot. Though I had like an awesome job and everyone was really supportive of me being a new mom. It just felt silly to me. Like I was missing out on a lot with my daughter, you know, for what time that I wasn't going to get back. So I quit and, um, but I felt like I needed to stay like mentally stimulated and, and frankly make money because my husband was in school at the time and not working. <laughs> so, um, I just dabbled in a couple side hustles, and that included writing the books. And I started an Instagram account to promote them. Uh, I started doing, or at least posting, the activities with my daughter. And uh, so now I'm kind of have a child-centric focus. But no, I don't think I ever thought I would be here. You know, Kara, 10 years ago would be like, wait, what are you doing? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I love it. So um, I'm very happy with where I ended up and I'm confident I could always go back to research, you know, and do the whole traditional PhD thing rather than mommyhood. Now, you're, you really glazed over a lot there that I think is really interesting about how you ended up becoming a published author with source books, which is like a really big deal. You know, you, you 
you started out as a self-published author. And um, can you tell us a little bit about that journey and how you ended up having book deals and working with Chris Ferry? That is still a crazy story to me because my books were, I mean, hot garbage before I started working <laughs> with the people <laughs> books. They're so good. And it's, I mean, like traditional publishing is such an asset. <laughs> so yeah, Chris, to promote the books, I actually used to do Twitter. There's like an active science communication community there and they had this hashtag campaign that was basically like for Bill Nye and it was like, hey, Bill Nye is great and all, but let's not let one, you know, stereotypical science guy who doesn't have expertise in, in really any of these fields that he speaks on keep representing us as scientists. And so the shtick was like, people would tag Bill Nye and introduce themselves with their expertise and little idiosyncrasies about themselves. So I tweeted about my research and then I write kids books and Bill Nye retweeted me. Um, I think he called me a nerd which was great, <laughs> but he has like a bajillion followers who all care about science. So that went well for my account and the books. So in addition to that, I guess Chris had seen that tweet and um, he got the books and he contacted me to co-author some books to help expand his baby university series. And that, that was just wild. <laughs> I was pretty excited. But the um, publisher ended up signing me and bought the rights to my self-published books. And uh, yeah, here we are. I got incredibly lucky, you know. <laughs> yeah. But so your self-published books, are they the the same topics as the ones that you've already released or are they not? Yeah, they, they were, they were all exactly um, the same topics. And um, so we fixed up the illustrations. Um, we made them just like more modern, I guess. And then like wording, you know, making it more easy for all audiences to understand. Cause I had originally wrote them for other parents in science. So it was, it was like really tongue in cheek and mm -hmm. really nitty gritty stuff that like really doesn't belong in a children's book. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, I mean, also, and I mean, just the editing process is, is, it was fantastic. I had a great experience with it and I learned so much and I, I'm just happy with the product that they are now and horribly embarrassed about what they were. So. <laughs> oh, I don't think there's something to be embarrassed about. They obviously started an entire book collection for yourself here. So I am really curious about how you feel like working with source books, how was that different from your own process by yourself? Because a lot of people that listen to us actually are aspiring authors and, and they probably want to be able to improve their own self-published work. I had originally wrote the books for how I would speak to my daughter to explain things. And um, I think, you know, she has the benefit of being able to ask me other details about RNA or, you know, antibiotics, uh, what have you. But I think when Kelly, my editor, goes through my books, she, she more focuses on, like, accessibility, word choice. I, I just think, I, this is a tired phrase, but, like, more heads are better than one. And um, I, I love having the different perspectives and... Um, you can get really myopic and, and love your own work. And then once you take that step back, after you get feedback, it's just, I, I just explained that horribly. I'm sorry. 
that's okay. No, actually, I totally understand what you mean. And, you know, I, we get a lot of people who send us or, or ask to send us books that they have, you know, self-published. And a lot of the time, you can tell that they're very passionate about whatever they're writing about, but they haven't maybe shown it to other people for like genuine feedback before so they are like really close to it and it and it produces a book that maybe isn't for other people to read <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah and and I think especially sometimes you show it to people that love you and even if they're good friends they wouldn't give you true feedback you know <laughs> that, yes. that their job depends on um and and I think that's what was lacking in mine and then um I had also put out several versions of my books. Um, the first ones were just like really basic and um, I just did them to have at home because the way that you can self-publish nowadays is with Amazon and they'll just print it and there's really no money down. And I just, you know, printed them and, and bought them. But when actually they started like selling on Amazon, I was like, I better fix these. And then, <laughs> you know, they got slightly better, <laughs> but it, it was just a wild process. And, you know, going from, zero kids with zero, zero early childhood education experience mm -hmm. to, to all of this was quite a big learning curve for me. Well, it's interesting because I do, I'm a, a follower of yours, as you know, for a long time now, and you have so many wonderful activities that are very appropriate for, you know, an early years classroom. So you've, you've definitely gone from zero to a hundred in terms of like throwing yourself into the early education. Have you, um, how did you, I guess, get that experience or that, that lens of, of turning science into activities for kids? Yeah, so um, it was a lot of, I guess, reflection on my own childhood, on what stuck with me and the things that I remember, things or the way that I learned, because obviously I like science now. And also, um, as my daughter got older, you know, you can try things out. And I, I try to be honest about the activities that don't actually work or that were like completely pointless or, you know. And then I also just try to read a lot about people who know what they're doing with kids and techniques that work um, and, and strategies on how to introduce things. So um, it's, that's been a learning process for me too. And I think my account has gotten <laughs> better with the activities too, because if you scroll back, it's like, wow. <laughs> you know? I think that, yeah, being a, an Instagrammer myself, I feel like as we go along, we all it's a process of improvement, right? We learn from everything, from how we take the photos to the kinds of things we put up there. And, and I also like, let's just archive a couple of these old posts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, now this is an interview series that is uh, focused on picture books and social justice. And um, your, your books take a really strong stance on making accurate evidence-based scientific fact available not just to children and but parents as well. And some of the topics that you have written about are quite contentious in the United States, like vaccines or antibiotics or evolution for that matter. Like, have you, have you had a lot of pushback on that? So surprisingly, I haven't. And that was, it's still wild to me. When, when I um, had self-published the vaccines books, in the um the review section on amazon i guess like it had been posted to an 
anti-vaxxer website and we had like 50, (laughs) you know, zero star reviews from people. Um, But that, I mean, that doesn't get at me, I guess, you know, you kind of expect it, but um, that was about it. And uh, Chris and I thought, the evolution book was going to be super controversial, but nothing. I haven't had to defend it. Um, I, I wouldn't even mind discussing it because I, I, I kind of wish people would have given us a hard time. I don't think the concept of, of God and the theory of evolution need to be at odds with each other. And so I, I would be interested to talk to people who passionately don't feel that way mm-hmm. for this version of vaccines. Nothing really of note either. Every time I post it on social media, I get so nervous and I'm going to lose a whole day arguing with people on the internet. But um, the worst I've gotten is DMs saying that they're going to unfollow me or that they won't be buying my book and I can handle that, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you were, pre- you were prepared for a barrage, you were ready for it, and the storm didn't come. I, yeah, you know, and I'm sure it will, you know, because um, the, the books just came out a couple, a couple months ago. I don't know, not that I would relish it, but I, I do, you know, I feel like I can relate to, I guess, all mothers in that you, you stress about and you love your children to no end, just like anti-vaxxers. I hate to call them that because it feels disrespectful, but I don't know what to call them. (laughs) But I just, so like, I see why they're so passionate about the topic. It's funny because I'm reverse on vaccines. So like one year I forgot to get my oldest vaccinated for the flu shot. And I was like, oh my God, I can't bring (laughs) in the library. She's going to get the flu. But obviously it's like dumb to stress about that. But I get how myopic you can get when it's about your children's safety. Um, but in that respect, I think you're never really going to convince many of the anti-vax people. So, um, it's, you know, just again, the fact that they're trying to protect their children and so logic and finding comfort in statistics is easily thrown out the window. And in addition, you're asking people to completely trust a product from an industry who has already done some shady stuff in the past. It's difficult and I get it. I know that there's, you know, mistrust for biotech and I, and I get how people want to maintain autonomy and it sounds very scary. And in my mind, I guess, I feel like the best way to go about it. And, and I have done this in person with like family members is, is, to give the parents and the kids some type of foundation to understand the topics that are so science heavy. Like some of the anti-vax arguments can be cleared up really easily if, if there's just a better understanding of some of the concepts. And I guess so instead of wagging my finger and say like, get your kids vaccinated, you're a horrible mother, I, um, I guess try to spread science learning wherever I can on my accounts or in the books and hopefully reach some of the people, um, the parents, and hopefully reach the kids that will soon be adult members of society and just help people make decisions through knowledge and better analytical choices and anti-bias tools rather than just say like, trust me, I'm a scientist. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that uh, a fundamental lack of science understanding in the United States can be attributed to the entire anti-vax movement? Yeah, and, and that's something that I wish I knew, you know, because we, 
up until college, I think, you know, people are required to take some like basic science courses and the stuff that they learn, man, I, I don't know if it's necessary for every student to learn. I, I really think, you know, where does it get us? We, we have people who are college educated refusing to get their vaccines and then we're in the middle of a pandemic and people are refusing to wear masks <laughs> and um, I just, I don't get it. And, and so I, I guess the way that we teach science probably needs to change and um, giving people more tools. I know, I know there has been a push to, to try to teach people to, to recognize their biases. Um, and, and that also applies to science too, because once you kind of make up your mind with something like, like personal autonomy, like a vaccine or, or being troubled enough to wear a mask, it, you really throw the logic out the window <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and um, you can't really, sometimes people just ignore like the actual science. So I, I think it would, it would benefit people to also introduce just some uh, analytical thinking topics in school. I, I guess trusting of science more, which which is the hard part too. Um, you know, scientists are often viewed as these like geeky people, or I mean, just not people that that you would know. And and so um, I think a, a large push in at least the science communication community is is to show that we're just normal people, and we don't want to your children so you feel like it a lot of it has to do with the fact that people don't relate or don't feel like you're somebody or not you but like the science community in general is somebody that they feel open to trusting that's the impression that i got or that i get when i, when I speak to people you know that like man-made things are inherently dangerous and um, I think there's a large overlap with people um, trusting natural products instead of man-made things. And it, it would be helpful to clear up some of those misunderstandings too. I, I wonder if, I always think that, you know, there used to be home ec classes to teach like very specific things like how to sew and how to cook. And I wonder if there should be science classes that, I mean, openly discuss vaccines or the use of essential oils to heal or uh, <laughs> what you don't like essential oils for all your healing <laughs> no, needs so, good. <laughs> <laughs> but, so yeah just some of the common misunderstandings and um yes d discussion goes a long way with um peers and people that uh that you can relate to that is such like a, a big topic though the whole idea that people are not sure where to put their trust when they're consuming goods like they like the idea of the essential oil lifestyle where you know everyone has salt crystals and it's all very calm but i i have to wonder you know how much of this is also a lack of understanding for when you are putting your trust in a person, understanding what their credentials are. Because, I mean, whether or not you trust, let's say, the scientific community, why are you putting your trust in somebody who has no credentials whatsoever? Like, what is, like, what do you think the reasoning behind that is? I know, it, it's, it's so fascinating to me. And I really feel like it would just be a really interesting psychological study to, to study people like 
you know, I, I would much prefer, even though I love herbal teas and I don't know, you know, that season of Outlander where she's using all the herbs to heal everyone. Like it's fascinating. Very romantic. (laughs) So cool. Yes. Um, But I would just really rather things to be clinically tested before I put them in my body. (laughs) And I I don't have a trust in nature. I think like most of nature doesn't care about us or all of nature doesn't care about us. (laughs) And, you know, it has no incentive to heal us. Um, You know, we're kind of hurting the earth. So (laughs) backwards, right? But um, um, I, yeah, it's it's really interesting to me. And I, I wish I hadn't an answer for it um it's it's a lot of uh maybe a little bit of the privilege of being able to choose a romantic lifestyle uh that is absolutely true <laughs> and um i have been incredibly guilty of that recently we just moved out to north carolina and there's so many mosquitoes down here and with the new baby i don't want to like douse myself in DEET because, Mm -hmm. you know, she's like a little sensitive bundle of skin. And I was like, oh, I can't do this. And then it's like, wow, how how privileged am I right now that I have, you know, like a gallon of DEET. And, you know, just everybody is... If people in uh, just like the malaria belt would would love mm-hmm. to have access to mm-hmm. these things, and and I just I felt so horrible, you know, and and so um, I that's a great point. You just really have to check your privilege when you mm-hmm. uh, focus on 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 what you're obsessing about at the moment. <laughs> and, yes, and you know, I I I did that myself the other day with sunscreen. And I was like, oh, but sunscreen, I don't know what's in it. Although here in Canada, I think our regulations are a little bit better. I'm in Canada, by the way. Um, but I was like, you know what, people, people would have wished for sunscreen and, and skin cancer. And what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, stuff gets into your head when you were like, yes. oh, you should be scared. And even though I'm a science believing person, I love vaccines. I was like, give my kid extra vaccines, please give us the vaccines. <laughs> you know, even I get a little bit scared sometimes. Um, so when, one last question for you today. Um, what do you think the most important thing parents can do, especially now that we're all stuck at home with our kids, to foster a love of science in their children? I, I know you say the most important, but I would say two different things if you hear the baby grunting right now. So I would never be afraid to say I don't know to them. I feel like that is so important to model that it's okay to not have a clue what the answer is and that it it's fine to look stuff up. It's absolutely fine and it's totally normal and it's better than, than just, you know, faking knowledge. But in terms of what you can do for your kid to keep them active would, um, and this is actually what my kids are doing most of the time, and um, it's just tinkering. And so we have this corner in the house that, is an absolute mess constantly and I just dump junk there like recycling like old somewhat safe parts from electronics and they just make stuff and the stuff that they make isn't always sciencey or anything they're just making anything like becoming frustrated with it creating um my daughter made paper shoes for everyone the other day (laughs) and um 
the youngest one like went outside and she got them wet and that was just the most fun tantrum uh, to have in a oh, public no. place oh, and no. you know and, and so there's a lot of problem solving there you know like what papers are uh, hydrophobic you know <laughs> what, what can prevent this from happening again and and so you don't um it's not directed play or anything but it's just incredibly beneficial play so yeah i i would say just have a place where you dump junk and let them <laughs> let them make stuff with it um it's the best that i actually 100 percent agree with you and i feel like so many parents right now they want you know they want activities all wrapped up in a bundle because they're afraid to just let go and the reality is that in the classroom, like as a, I'm a classroom teacher as well, we, we just let them tinker sometimes and that's often like the best thing that they can possibly do. So I love that that is what you said because it is 100% totally with you on it. So thank you so much for coming on our show and talking to us today. Loved it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's nice to like solidify some of the, you know, the thoughts and, and uh yeah um so if thank you for listening in everybody and if you haven't already please subscribe to the picture books books again podcast let us know what you're reading about on our instagram and go follow cara florence at dot uh, cara dot florence or no cara underscore florence right yes or in between <laughs> and there's in florence it'll be in our show notes and buy all her books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.